Welcome to Everyday Wellness. Wellness is the result of the decisions that you make every day. It's your mindset and the thoughts you believe. Wellness is the food you put in your body and the relationship you have with yourself and others. Wellness is your work and meaning. Join us on Everyday Wellness as we explore ways that you can choose wellness today. Hello, we are so excited to have with us today, Dr. Tom Incliden, world-renowned expert in human health and performance, and he's the founder and chief scientific officer of Cosenta Wellness, where he's bringing a unique approach to healthcare and cancer treatment that's never been done before. Welcome, Dr. Tom. Uh, Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. And we'd love for you to start off just telling us a little bit about your background and how you kind of got interested in, you know, kind of marrying the idea of cancer treatment and also wellness. Sure. So um, basically at my core, I'm a muscle head. I was always fascinated with lifting huge weights, uh, deadlifted trucks. I've run with airplanes attached to my body and done all kinds of um, really bizarre lifts that I would advise most people not to do. (laughs) Uh, I was um, at a very young age. I grew up uh, extremely poor. So my family was uh, growing up, we were two standard deviations below the poverty line. So the joke we would share if I'm lecturing is, you know, we were looking up at the poor people and going, wow, look how rich they are. Wow. So we had to deal with a lot of challenges uh, growing up. You know, I, I've actually had times I had to go to bed hungry because my mom was sick and uh, just not able to work to provide for the family. And so I had to start working at the age of five. It's something that most people, I hope, never have to experience. I was in, um, in uh, the New York City in the Bronx. So it was a pretty rough neighborhood. And uh, as I kind of went through my journey in life, uh, I got an amazing education from the streets. Uh, I was able to run an entire company by the age of 11. I could do bookkeeping, accounting, inventory control. Uh, by the age of 12, I took tests to go into college because uh, I just showed an aptitude to learn very quickly. And uh, my mom was a bit overprotective and said, no way her baby boy is going to go to college at 12. So I did take another test and it allowed me to do seventh and eighth grade in one year. So it got me a little bit of a head, if you will. And along the way, I was uh, really strong and I met some coaches and they got me sort of uh off the streets, if you will. Not that work wasn't doing that already, uh, but now I got a chance to hang around really strong guys and get mentored on how to lift weights properly. So by the time I was about 14, 15, I was already setting records. And by the time I was 19, I was lifting pretty decent weights. And um, I would say uh, when I was around nine, give or take a year, um, I had a babysitter, you know, thought she was beautiful, most beautiful woman in the world type of thing, got a little boy crush on her, and then one day she didn't show up, and I find out that um, she had died of uh, brain cancer. So she had a tumor, mm-hmm. and literally, you know, talking to her one day, and the next day she was dead. And then that, at that point in time, one, I was really young, two, I, I don't remember anyone even talking much about cancer. It was just like, a, it was like something that was rare, if you will. And I just want to compare that to now or today where, you know, we're talking roughly 42, 43 years later, give or take. And everybody appears to have either known someone personally or close relative or themselves that has been affected by cancer. 
Mm. So the visual bias of it is that it seems like cancer is going vertical. Um, part of that might just be because you know we have so many people coming here and we hear a lot of a lot of similar stories. Uh, but along the way, I had um, different family members and different people I met that I'd seen passed away from cancer. And, and at that point, I was still uh, young in my academic preparation, and I was still training to be an athlete and, and win uh, you know, titles or world records. And so I wasn't really um, engaged with sort of the current mission that we're on right now. And uh, then as I got to, uh, I would say, maybe five or six years ago, um, we really started focusing on treating cancer because we just saw there was all these opportunities to make things much better. And we're a very movement-based organization. Uh, we've proven time and time again since about the 1980s till now that we can independently make any human being uh, physically faster, stronger, move better. And that's separate from their disease process. So uh, the mistake many people make is that when they get diagnosed with a condition is as they go downhill, meaning they lose the ability to do things they enjoy, everyone says it's from the disease and they totally ignore the fact that they're not using their body. So there's atrophy in the brain, there's loss of neural connections, there's muscle weakness, and it's all lumped under the umbrella of the diagnosis. And so what we've done here is we've created sort of like a team of the super friends, if you will, got a lot of really bright people and we literally have uh, people coming in in wheelchairs and they're walking in the day and then they're you know loving us and sending everybody and their family here so and that's kind of like the overview of my background wow that's quite a powerful story and it it seems that you really got a strong education maybe not as much from school as you did from life and that really informed how you wanted to move into what you do today Oh, absolutely. I, um, you know, what's funny is um, I was never a big fan of education. And I say that, and as I'm talking to you, I'm smiling because I have over 23 years of college education. Mm-hmm. And most people would usually say, wow, you must have really loved school. Like, now nah, I would have used that as my first word choice, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's kind of funny. Well, can you tell us about what happens when someone comes to your center? How do you begin to work with them? Where do you start? Well, I would say everything starts, I would say, with a, nowadays it seems like an email or a text message. Uh, usually it's someone knows someone that put them in touch with us, but let's say if there wasn't some pre-existing relationship that got the ball rolling, they might go to the website and they fill out um, a form to get a free consult, if you will, and then we usually talk with them by phone. Once in a while, people just walk in and uh, cause they happen to be in the area. Uh, but usually it's sort of by phone and we kind of overview, hey, um, we're going to look at all of your previous medical records. We're not going to treat the label. We're going to understand what's going on, on going on inside your body. And we have uh, pretty amazing um, capabilities here. We're connected to every major lab in the world. And instead of uh, you know people chasing treatments or chasing, people chasing like medical experts and stuff like that, I think those concepts are outdated and they don't really produce the outcomes that people are hoping for is uh, we created a model where when you come here and let's say you have whatever problems you're dealing with um, we're on we're connected to you know MD PhDs from Harvard or an MD PhD from one of the largest uh, labs testing you know uh, immune markers in the world 
so we're able to leverage our our scientific and professional relationships for the benefit of that person that's suffering. So they don't have to go to 20 centers in order to get better. They can come to one place where you can collect all this information, basically a blood, urine, stool, saliva sample, send it to labs all over the world, take all that data, and then integrate it in a way to make sure we get results and help prioritize things for them. Um, to give you a simple example, we recently had um, a young mom contact us about her four-year-old boy. So essentially, he had a rare leukemia, went through a process of standard of care treatment, which would have been um, chemotherapy in his case. After about 42 rounds of chemotherapy, um, he still had leukemia, but now he had 87 other diagnoses. And so when we met the family, we're dealing with a four-year-old that has 88 medical diagnoses from hospital records. So we talk with the oncologist from the hospital, we talk with the family and say, okay, you know, what, where's the opportunity to make impact right now? Uh, because when there's 88 things going on, you can't fix everything at once. And there was sort of the agreement that this uh, child's got uncontrollable diarrhea and he can die very quickly from that, whereas the cancer is going to take longer to, you know, be, uh, as let's say, as deadly to him. So we were able to uh, basically help um, help improve his GI tract function. So he had now had normal bowel movements and uh, along the way addressed the neuropathy in his legs. So now he could run around and do things. And so for people that were just, say, engaging with us, I would say we look at their medical records. We make them aware of technologies to help them, but not help them just because for the sake of doing testing, but actually test and help produce a better result than they currently experience. And then when they're physically here, uh, we evaluate their brain. Um, we have amazing capabilities to help uh, improve brain function, or at least the communication of the brain with the rest of the body. And then we have uh, the joke is we're kind of like the bat cave. Um, we have millions of dollars of technologies in our model is kind of a cool one because uh, we're able to provide most of that at a flat fee for people. So stuff that they would never be able to afford, they could come here and get. And it doesn't matter if they have insurance or not. Um, our prices are usually cheaper than most people's co-pays. So it, we've now eliminated insurance as an obstacle. We've eliminated um, expense as an obstacle. So now we can really focus on helping people get better. That's really incredible. You're really advocating for your patients in a way that is supporting them on every level, you know, spiritually, holistically. I'm curious what your take is. I know that um, a lot of the functional space these days is really focused on um, fasting as it pertains to brain health, you know, with oncology patients and otherwise, as well as a ketogenic diet. And, and I just to be upfront, um, this is this has not been, even though I'm a Western medicine trained um, healthcare provider, has not been an area of focus of mine. It's just out of genuine curiosity what you think. Yeah, so I think it's a tool that can be useful in some cases, but you know, I, I would. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients, and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. 
Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced. And it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. You know, look at it like so the, the guy with the largest or, the, or the, the, the professional, I should say, with the largest toolbox has the most options for their mm-hmm. patient. So we started studying ketogenic diets and zone diets and, you know, whether it's Ornish, Pritikin, you name it. We studied all these diets back in the 90s for different disease conditions and different, um, let's say, uh, types of athletes, particularly in different sports. And we came up with the realization that no single diet worked for everyone. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, we were hindered that we didn't have all the, you know, the human genome project was just kind of underway, but it wasn't completed yet. And no one even knew, you know, there was this concept of the microbiome. So we kind of like, it was kind of like we're in a dark cave and we got just a little bit of light, you know, so we kind of know something's there, but we don't really know what we're looking at. And then we started to see that 
some people responded really well and some people didn't to different diets. And then it became, well, how do we know what the right diet is for the right person? You know, how do we match mm-hmm. these things up? And then at some point, I don't remember the exact year, but a group out of Australia that originally did the, um, a lot of the, uh, let's say, foundational research for glycemic index and glycemic load, they sort of started reevaluating some of the research, but this time now they were looking at individual foods, in other words, the glucose responses to people eating these foods, and they also were testing genetics of the individuals and the microbiome of the individuals. And what they found was that no two people respond the same exact same way to food. So they actually found some people eating cookies had a, a flatter glycemic index or glucose response than some other people um, eating fruit. And so, uh, I'm sorry, that some people responded better in terms of a more stable blood sugar level to junk food, let's say like cookies versus fruits and vegetables. Like in theory, we tell people, hey, eat you know, a wide variety of fruits and vegetables because it's healthier for you. But if we're not clear on what the objective outcome measure is, meaning it, w- w- how we try to make them healthy. So using glucose levels as a single example, if someone has glucose levels going up and down and your goal is to improve those levels, then basically you gotta find the food that helps them do that. And as, um, as kind of a counterculture as this might seem, um, for some people, it may be a cookie uh, because the, or, the microbiome and the genetics interact in a way that produces a unique result that no one anticipated before. And it, it kind of opens up the opportunity to share that um, every human being alive right now is so unique. They're not only unique as far as the only person like themselves alive today, they're the only person like themselves alive in the history of planet Earth. So you're not one out of, you know, seven or eight billion people. You're one out of like 50 or 60 billion people. And you reconcile that with the realization that most of our biomass is not human cells. It's other organisms. And a single, you know, one lactobacillus rhamnosus organism can influence over 100 genes of our body. So it now becomes very difficult to say diet X will affect people this way because we already know it's not 100% true, but then how do we have a message to share with the masses? Like someone would say cancer, what should they eat? Well, the way that we handle that here, um, we think the data on the micronutrient content from colorful fruits and vegetables is more powerful than, let's say, the data from the effects of following a ketogenic diet. So. We start off with that, but we monitor people. And if they don't respond the way we're expecting, we change the diet. And then we will go to a ketogenic diet, or if they're already on a ketogenic diet and not responding, then we will switch them to another type of diet. We just had someone yesterday that um, they had went to another center and they were told no more chicken or fish for um, the daughter. So it's a family as a young lady with a brain tumor. And uh, so she stopped eating chicken and fish. She lost an incredible amount of muscle and um, her protein status indicators are all below normal and the tumor has not shrunk. So, you know, I wouldn't then see that diet as favorable to our health. And so now we made the recommendation, all right, 
We tried the no fish and chicken. Now let's see what happens when we add it back in. So it sounds like your approach is definitely individualized. We know that bio-individuality is everything from our microbiome to our genetics. So it sounds as if you're really able to capitalize on that to develop a whole treatment philosophy specifically tailored to each person. There's really not a one-size-fits-all. That's right. And so you mentioned nutrition as uh, a therapeutic intervention. Can you talk a little bit more about what other types of services you offer there? Sure. So I guess um, we have thousands of options here. So it's sometimes easier to maybe use a case as an example. And um, so let's say that um, someone was uh, previously treated for, you know, they have colon cancer. They were previously treated with chemotherapy and radiation. Um, the, the cancer is still spreading in their body. And they come here and let's say they have difficulty moving. So um, in terms of helping that person enjoy a higher quality of life and getting results that they had not experienced elsewhere, I would look at, well, how do we get rid of the pain in their feet so now they could move more? Um, we understand the power of movement. Um, very recently, Scientific American put something on the cover about how important it is for movement and exercise. Uh, as we get more modernized, we're sitting more. And now there's relationships that are being published that nurses that watch the most TV have the highest incidence of colon cancer because they're being you know, kept from moving. So the way we incorporate that into helping someone deal with, let's say, something like cancer, we figure out how we remove the obstacles to their ability to move. And then once they could move more, we now use movement, and when I say movement, it could be uh, a physical therapy exercise that was developed by our physical therapist. It could be another exercise that the strength coach here has uh, used with uh, patients. But we're somehow getting them to activate more muscle mass, and then we're using their activated muscles to take up more nutrients out of their, um, let's say, blood. And uh, basically, we're using exercise to starve their cancer, if you will. We also use exercise for something called, um, um, we're, we're basically shuttling nutrients from one part of the body to another. So for example, if someone is too weak to stand, how do we get the nutrients to their legs as opposed to other parts of the body? We take advantage of principles known since the 70s where we basically um, have them exercise in their legs. It usually would be a stationary bike, but it could be other movements. So now there's increased blood flow already to their legs, and then we can do an IV of nutrients, so we can give them an oral solution that's loaded with certain things that we want them to take in. They ingest it, or they get it administered intravenously, and they go back to exercising, or the IV runs on them while they're exercising, so we leverage blood flow to the working muscle with the nutrients that we're delivering, and we dramatically increase, uh, dramatically increase the nutrient uptake in that part of the body. So we help them add muscle faster. And um, some of our accomplishments very recently, uh, people that have come here in wheelchairs, we've been able to add 20 to 40 pounds of muscle on them, and uh, they you know, no longer need wheelchairs. Obviously, they're so much stronger. But the point I want to make is um, those people are so frail 
even after gaining up to 40 pounds, if you saw them visually and didn't know their history, you would say, wow, this person's very skinny. Mm-hmm. So we're getting people that are so, um, so frail that they have such a minimal amount of muscle mass. So a question we usually get asked is, well, how do you know to gain muscle? We do body composition analysis of every patient here. So every three or four weeks, we're testing their body composition. So that's how we know if they're gaining muscle and losing fat or you know what other changes are happening. So let's say exercise or movement is one component. Then we have a lot of therapies that deal with um, either ozone or oxygenation of tissue. I recently presented at the um, Ozone Out Borders World Conference on some of our research. Uh, we've collected more data on ozone steam saunas and some, um, let's say, different um, ozonation of the blood therapies than anyone I've ever seen in history. Uh, we have every single gene in the human body, every organism, the microbiome, every vitamin, mineral, amino acid, fatty acid, cytokine, hormone. We've collected all these markers so we could see um, precisely how. Consuming Element on a daily basis is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health. And we know that by consuming proper amounts of electrolytes, it can contribute to quality sleep, which is critical to all of my perimenopause and menopausal patients and clients. We know that magnesium increases a neurotransmitter called GABA that is known for producing calming effects. And consuming adequate levels of sodium can help you sleep through the night because low sodium levels increase cortisol and adrenaline. Additionally, if you are intermittent fasting, it's important to understand that when you fast, two things can dehydrate you. Number one, if your insulin levels remain low, it can signal to our kidneys to excrete more sodium or salt, a process called naturesis. And as glycogen or stored glucose is broken down, the water left over from the glycogen breakdown is urinated out. So if you want to take care of your health in one of my favorite ways, you can consume Element electrolytes. My favorite flavors are grapefruit and citrus, but there are many others to choose from. And if you go to drinkelement.com slash Cynthia, you can get a free sample pack to try them out on your own. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash Cynthia for your free sample pack where you can try all of their flavors. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. 
And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Different modalities like pulse electromagnetic field, how different wavelengths of light at different powers or intensities and frequencies and um uh, all these other, let's say, modalities affect the human body. And then from this database, that's how we're able to leverage things. And then on the actual, let's say, um, I look at a lot of that stuff as uh, supportive of fighting cancer, not necessarily as being like uh, uh, a definite weapon. Although I will say I've seen people respond very quickly to it. I would say those are more outliers than the, the norm. In terms of actually killing cancer, we developed a nutritional regimen that has what stood the test of time. Um, it works quite well for most people. It's not going to work for everyone, but when it doesn't work, we now have strategies to add to it, and we've designed it to be practical so we could actually teach a patient how to do it. We could ship it to them so they could do it on their own, and then we now eliminate their need to having to be you know, a prisoner of a medical center, so to speak, where they could go out and work or enjoy their life and feel like they're a contributing member of society. So we kind of follow along the adage, you know, um, teach someone to fish, feed them for a day. But I'm sorry, yeah, give someone fish, feed them for a day, teach someone fish and how to fish and feed them for life. So we try to set people up where... Um, they're capable of surviving on their own and not dependent on centers for their care. Well, it really seems like you have an approach that that is all-encompassing. And I know that getting a diagnosis of cancer or having that in your family can be incredibly stressful and incredibly overwhelming. So I'm wondering if you could give our listeners some very basic advice on what to do or where to start when they first get the diagnosis. Uh, thank you for asking that because it's um, so first thing uh, most people normally go on the internet and start searching things and um, I think it's kind of normal that hey you know if I got this diagnosis of prostate cancer or breast cancer whatever it is you know what does it mean so there's definitely sites available that could provide some unbiased information on that but it's difficult to find them and you know the um what normally happens is the information that comes up is either biased to sell someone something or it's uh, positioned in a way where it's not as thorough and complete. And so for most people, 
they're going to start on the internet, but what they're not seeing is that the back-end algorithms of the internet is geared towards sales and, and marketing. It's not geared towards optimal biology. So they're going to make some mistakes because they're going to read information and think they know what they're doing, but it, in no way could they come close to grasping the complexity of what they're dealing with. So to help most people, when, uh, when they come in, what I usually ask them is, what do you do for a living? And they'll say, you know, I'm a school teacher. I say, great. I'm going to read something on the Internet right now. And do you think I'll be as good a teacher as you are, given you have 30 years of experience? And then usually they smile and go, no. Then how could you expect that, you know, reading something on the Internet that you're going to somehow find the solution for what you're dealing with? It's just unlikely to happen. So the way you get a result when you're faced with an overwhelming journey of misinformation is you got to ask the right questions and very quickly understand the philosophies and the capabilities of the resources in front of you. So um, two questions patients need to ask of any center that they're considering to go to for treatment. One is you're talking with the oncologist and you should have all the people on your team, meaning your family members and friends that are helping you, that are supporting you, to need to be present so everybody hears the same thing at the same time. So there's no lost in translation later on. And that's, you know, how will you help treat the cancer in my body? First question. And then you listen to what they have to say. If they have an answer before you walk through the door, you should realize then that's a one-size-fits-all medical model that's unlikely to work. Um, it may work, but chances are it's not going to, and then you're going to be stuck having to, to see, like, what's the next option? So then the next question would be, what will you do when this doesn't work? And that's where you find out what their plan B is. Most centers do not have a plan B. If their initial therapy doesn't work, their next strategy is to refer you elsewhere or tell you there's nothing that can be done or you hear a lot of statements like there's no cure. Um, we don't need to worry about a cure. We just need to worry about proper treatment. There are many cancers that don't kill people simply because they're well managed and the individual could live the rest of their life under their own terms. And if you actually interview patients, you know, if they're older people, they just want to see their grandkids grow up and spend time with them or they want to be able to spend, if it's a younger person, spend time with the person they love and not have to be bogged down with this overwhelming weight of, I got this, you know, terminal diagnosis. Um, so those would be two questions that people should ask of any healthcare uh, professional. And then in terms of um, what not to do, uh, people tend to read a lot of stuff and chase treatments and that's the equivalent of putting all your eggs in one basket. So, you know, people call and say, do you do this treatment? And we may or may not do it. Um, we don't do things that we don't see any data. We don't do things that may harm someone in an unnecessary way. Uh, we don't do things that are well marketed, but there's no, um, no evidence actually works to treat a cancer. Um, and so what happens is when someone's looking for that singular therapy and they find a place that does it, and it doesn't work, they're now in a really rough spot. And one third area that I, I, I would maybe uh, challenge everyone to really think through carefully, everyone knows you cannot feel cancer cells growing. 
And so how you feel is not precise enough to give feedback on, hey, I got five cancer cells, or hey, I got a million cancer cells. But as people go through any therapy, they always fall back on how they feel in terms of evaluating whether the therapy is working. And we already know you could feel much better and the cancer could still be growing. The two, how you feel and the thread of the disease, your body are not linearly connected. And so we tell people, don't wait until you have pain. Don't wait until you can't stand up. Take action immediately. It's better to try something and it not work right away because you have time to try something else versus waiting till it's too late and then, you know, things go south quickly. Uh, in the past year, I've seen a number of billionaires, you know, that came here saying, hey, I feel great. I'm going to, you know, continue to run my business and I'll come in next month or whatever. And they passed away because they waited too long. And I just recently saw someone, you know, an average guy doesn't have much money and he's just, you know, trying to make the right decision uh, in April. And I said, hey, you need to do something now while you're not suffering. And I talked with him in May. He said, well, in April, I should say, he said, well, I feel great. Let me wait. Okay. And then in May, I talked with him and he's like, I can't get out of bed. And what people aren't seeing is that as the number of cells in your body are growing, time is changing on the inside, right? You don't have one cell growing to two cells. You don't have a million cells becoming two million cells, you know? So the order of magnitude you can't appreciate from looking in a mirror or, or how you feel. And so what happens is over time, things are changing faster, but there's not that realization until you reach that critical threshold where you can't function or it just hurts too much to do something you enjoy. So I hope that wasn't too wordy and uh, it's uh, concise enough for most people to get some value out of those recommendations. Absolutely. Well, we are so honored that you carved a little bit of time out of your Friday for you. It's it's morning, a Friday morning to connect with us. Thank you so much for your time today. And we know that our listeners will really find the information very valuable. Well, thank you for the opportunity to uh, you know be on your show and uh, help spread the word. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find out more about Cynthia and her work at chtwellness.com. And you can find out more about Kelly and her work at everydaytherapist.com. In addition, if you have questions for us or topics you'd like us to address, please email us at everydaywellnesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, be well. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. 
Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.